Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, as I always am, and joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? New beginnings are nigh. Once again, on the Inking Out Loud podcast, as we open the first pages of Daniel Polanski's Lowtown trilogy with the introductory short story, A Drink Before We Die. Drew McCaffrey, my good friend, what happened in this little ditty? Yeah, A Drink Before We Die is a, I don't know, long short story, short novelette. <laughs> Not sure what you want to call it. Like, it's got chapters. But uh, either way, it's by Danny Polanski. As you said, an introduction to the world and characters of his Lowtown series. The Warden is a criminal mastermind and drug dealer in total control of the area of his city known as Lowtown. When a rival criminal group begins moving in on his territory... Warden sets out to maintain his rule. Despite lacking the sheer numbers or muscle of other gangs, Warden uses his mind to stay at the top of the totem pole. He maneuvers three separate factions into a climactic showdown where they basically annihilate each other and leave him, once again, the undisputed king of the mountain when it comes to Lowtown. Short and sweet. Yeah, short and sweet. It's good stuff. It's Daniel Polanski, so... I'm yeah. never bored. I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, at first, when we meet the warden, jumping straight into style, you know, uh, I, we got this quote, especially near the near the beginning. Common wisdom affirms against the drinking of whiskey during daylight hours. <laughs> and while I can see the merits of the arguments, it is not one to which I hold. And I was like, "Bruh, warden is my kind of guy." And then, no, he really, really, was really was not. But it was a lot yeah. of fun. It was still a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, you know, like, it's... I'm glad we started with this. Um, you know, obviously, we've previously read and and discussed the builders on Inking Out Loud. Uh, his Tor.com uh, novella, which we both greatly enjoyed. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and then I've also read uh, another short story of his called Baby Teeth. That was, like, to- totally different. Um where the builders is, you know, I've always described it as like the black company meets Watership Down or a Red Wall, you know, one of those um, anthropomorphized animals plus like mercenary company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, and then, Baby Teeth is like a like a contemporary fantasy where the main character is like a high school student in some like little town in Midwest America, and a monster hunter recruits him because like a vampire is like killing people in oh, town yeah and it's really good like it's again really good and so i felt like before we went into low town it was appropriate that we'd read another short story you know uh i've never read a full-length novel by polanski and uh, you know and and so having a drink before we die kind of bridge that gap where it's like all right here's a short story like everything else i've read by him but also it's, you know, an introduction to the bigger world. And in terms of an introduction to the world, I thought it was just crisp. I mean... Crisp is a good way to put it, actually. So yeah. efficient in terms of establishing what Lowtown is like. Um, he gives flavor in terms of the different um, cultural and, and ethnic groups in the city. Uh gives a, a just a little bit of a hint of 
the warden's background, but not so much that it distracts from the immediate plot of the story. You know, it's it, it does what it needs to do in terms of a short story where it's direct and to the point. Here's a, here's a conflict. Here's how the main character goes about solving it. Boom, 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 done. But also in the solving, in the establishment and solving of that conflict, flavors the setting. Teases you enough that it's like, all right, I'm ready to read Lowtown now. Mm. And, and I, I admit, like I'm 10 chapters into Lowtown as of the recording of this. Uh, when I finished this short story, I immediately started reading Lowtown because I was so into it. Like, mm, it's, it's it, not, sorry, go ahead. I'd... Yeah. It, it just, it, it's that across three very different short stories that I've read by Polanski, uh, he manages to have this like, just, just addictive voice. He doesn't have particularly like incredible vocabulary, sparkling prose. Like he he has nice turns of phrase. Yeah. But it's more about the the narrator's voice that that makes these so engaging. Good. Good. That's literally my next point. And I and I wrote down <laughs> that Polanski just has this effortless cheek all over the all over the place with his dialogue and with his prose. Or yeah. it feels that way effortless. There's so many turns of phrase. I even said turns of phrase that are, that are made to spell something entirely different. You know, the most dangerous kind of man you'd ever not want to meet. Those kinds of things are just sprinkled so liberally throughout this entire thing. And that is exactly what it was that brought me in so completely when I was reading The Builders. And it's why to this day I still rave about that short story or novella. Yeah. I'm glad that Polanski is even here giving me everything that I expected even after that incredible piece. Like the... the, the, the like the builders that set the standard, you know. This guy is, in my opinion, he's up there with Bennett and, on occasion, Butcher, and almost at the level of Rothfuss and Cook, in my opinion, in terms of, like, crafting a great sentence or just giving you a neat little turn of phrase again and again and again in a way that feels like it's not trying hard to do so. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, we talked about this with Matthew Stover um, when we were covering ah, Stover's Scott Lynch. Ah, Stover's a good name, yes, you know, yes. Where we were talking about how the lies of Locke Lamora feels effortless. Mm-hmm. It, it, it just feels effortlessly good. And Polanski, similarly, I mean, I get major, major Scott Lynch vibes from reading Lowtown. Major. Oh, I Scott can't Lynch wait vibes. now. Okay. Um, but, but similarly, just in, in terms of the way he uses words and, and uses uh, that voice of the main character, it feels effortless. It feels casual. It feels real. Where where it's like, of course, you know, the warden would talk like this. That's how a normal dude would talk. But when you think about it, that's an absolutely not how a normal dude would talk. It's it's exquisitely crafted, but it comes off effortless. And yeah. that takes real talent. Yeah, and it's still, like, it's the story is told in this odd, not like second person. It's a little more than first person. It's directly addressing the reader at times, and I mm-hmm. love it. I love this, this you know, just this generous sprinkling of these totally aside thoughts, meant specifically to address whoever's reading this damn page. The seven brothers, I'll keep with the original nomenclature if it's all the same to you, were Island Valen, and it just goes on. And again, everywhere in these books here, and it just, 
it's you're right. It, it it knows exactly what it's about, and it launches straight into there. There's no finding its feet. It it doesn't need to spend any time doing that. Yeah, yeah, and and it it just oh it it works like yeah. Even though I having read a little bit of Lowtown Book One, um, uh, there's a, another original title for that book, but we'll talk about that on that episode. Um, so I see, yeah. I you could easily pick up Lowtown with that book and and he does a similarly excellent job of establishing the characters and and setting so it's like a drink before we die isn't necessary to read to get Lowtown but if you want to read it man it's an, an enjoyable experience oh yeah oh yeah and it's not one of those stories that like is very clearly a, a uh, you know written after the fact where it's like oh yeah this is technically a prequel but it it involves all this information uh, from later in in the main series you know something like New Spring for instance in the Wheel of Time where it's like yeah it takes place twenty years before the first book but you're not going to catch everything if yeah but so much of the the plot and and detail and setting in New Spring is built on the shoulders of context from books four, five, six, and seven of the Wheel of Time. You know, so like, so when when I see people you know on Reddit or Facebook be be like, uh, oh, I'm starting the Wheel of Time. Should I should I do New Spring or Eye of the World first? It's like do Eye of the World first. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and here with Lowtown, it's like eh, your choice. Read a drink before Good. we die. Nice. It'll be great. Huh? You don't want to? Fine. Read Lowtown. It'll be great. Like, it, he he really pulled off something something pretty deft here, where yeah. where it enriches the experience while keeping it accessible. While keeping it accessible and and without taking away anything from the next book. Yeah, I've got a lot so, of faith in Polanski already. Yeah, just, man, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I just I, I going into Lowtown, I will freely admit, I have similar expectations uh as I did going into the Divine Cities by Robert Jackson. Okay. That was gonna be the same analogy I used, yes. That's yeah. about the level of that expectation that I have. And I was blown away by that trilogy, so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really took me by surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And so Ooh. like but you know it, you know, we, we had read Foundry Side uh and Shorefall. So we had a little bit of experience with Bennett. Um, we don't have as much experience with Polanski, but what experience we do have is plenty promising. promising. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. So, so uh, let's let's talk characters here. Let's, let's talk Warden about Warden. Yeah, my man Warden. Um, <laughs> I lovely. thought you, you you had such a good, um, y- you know, kind of talking point. Reading that opening line of the story, but yeah, where you're yeah. like, "Man, I'm I like this guy," and then the more you read, you're like, "Oh, I really don't like this guy." Like, like oh, hold up, hold up, wait a minute, yeah, something ain't you, right. You go from like, "Oh, this is you know some like jovial guy who's he's making jokes about like having a bad day and, and drinking early," you know, and and you're like, "Oh yeah, you know, like I can, <laughs> I can sympathize." Like there have been some days where where it's relatable. like. Yeah. 10 in the morning and, and I'm just like you know what like I, I just want to drink like you know yep. and uh, 
And then it keeps going. You're like, oh no, this guy's like a hardened drug addict and like not a nice mm-hmm. person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Oof. That's putting it lightly. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, I mean, I have, it's going to be interesting because as far as I understand, he's going to be a protagonist. I'm going to say that again, a protagonist going forward in Lowtown. So I'm really, really interested in seeing what an author like Daniel Polanski can do with that kind of potential. I, I want to see, I want to see him go and just play in that, in that playground. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Warden, I, <laughs> do I hope he turns into a nicer guy? Not particularly. I don't see that being very entertaining, but who knows? Who knows? Right. Uh, this is not a story that's too heartbreaking if the protagonist loses, you know? Yeah. You know, that's a good point. Um, like, I think there are some immediate parallels that you can draw between Warden and Locke Lamora, for instance. They're both leaders of criminal groups. Uh, in their own ways, they are extraordinarily adept at what they do and they use their minds to achieve those goals rather than more mundane means you know but just from the get-go the way polanski approaches writing warden versus what lynch does with Locke lamora is so different where like lynch goes out of his way to make Locke sympathetic and somebody that you're like i like this guy you know and it almost feels like polanski is going out of his way to say the warden is not a good person. Like, you should not really yeah. like this guy. And and where in... Alright, I'm going to try to say this without spoiling anything for... Worst case scenario, you spoil the first five chapters of the first like, book. He, what Lynch does with Locke Lamore is he sets him up as a sympathetic character who, like, oh. has done some bad things, but largely out of ignorance. You know, didn't really know what he was doing. And, and so you get to really know and like this guy. And then he starts complicating his character. And, and adding in new wrinkles and revelations that make you question how much you like him. I'm curious to see if Polanski's going to do the opposite. Where he sets up Warden as a very abrasive, a clearly corrupt, just Selfish. scummy dude. Yeah. And then as we go through Lowtown, he's going to add in those wrinkles and revelations that will, again, complicate his character, but, in you know, make him more likable, perhaps. I'm, I'm curious to see it, because I feel like this short story is a great jumping off point for that type of character arc. Yeah, yeah. I learned what a dive bar is in this a short story. I had no idea what that was before now. I looked at the term. Really? I want to open a dive bar someday. Not anytime soon, but maybe in retirement, you know? You'd never heard of a dive bar I, before? I, I am a, listen, I am a strangely limited boy. We've talked about this. I am a sheltered boy. Huh. Yeah, that's a... <laughs> I'm also not a very public drinker either. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. I drink at home yeah, like I mean, a responsible drunk. <laughs> I, I live in a you know, in a college town. So there's like, you know, there are dive bars all over the place in Fort Collins. Like <laughs> we got to We got to go check some of those out then when I, when I visit, God knows when that's going to happen yeah. now in this current oh, yeah. climate. But, uh, Hey, it's already been like 11 years. What's like another few, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. We're going to be bearded um, by the time we get to do that Sylvester Stallone hug with... So, do you have any more on Warden? Nothing particularly about Warden, no. Okay, do you have anything on Henry or Henri de Montmorency? Henri? Uh, just nothing besides the fact that I couldn't take him seriously because in my head canon he has a very obnoxiously French accent, and I'm, uh, <laughs> it's a very stupid aesthetic thing, but uh, it is there. I mean, I can I can kind of see it because he has a, a just a shockingly French name. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, Even at the very but, end when he's exploding, he's like, "It should be me where you're standing." I'm like, "Oh, come on, dude, just <laughs> d- drop the character. Let's just get on with this." Yeah, Henri wasn't one that was particularly invested in but hey we didn't need to be obviously yeah yeah no i mean he's he fulfills you know the this sort of trope of uh you know the the like pitiful criminal yeah um, eyes bigger I, than I, his stomach yeah yeah like i i feel like Funny this sort of character pops up in a lot of different stories where it's like um He's an antagonist. He's trying to screw the main character, but he's not smart. He's he's honestly kind of dumb. Um, doesn't have much going for him in life, and and like, and he's so pitiful that it's easy for the main character out to outsmart him, and then they take pity on him. They they let him go in the end. Um, there, are, you know, there there are characters like that in. The Wheel of Time and A Song of Ice and Fire and, you know, in The Gentleman Bastards and The Acts of Cain. You know, there, there's so many examples of this kind of character. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Like, Henri here feels like a the deliberate use of a trope. Um, Polanski may be subverting some things in the way he writes this urban fantasy in Lowtown, but that doesn't mean he has to subvert everything. And sometimes not subverting a trope in the midst of a story where he's subverting many other things is even more shocking. You know, uh, it's it's something that George R. R. Martin has made a living off of, you know, is is expectation, where he gets people used to one thing and then he does the other. And then when you get used to the other, then he does the the first thing again. And it's like, and so he keeps you kind of on your toes. And Henri here in the short story is a, is an example of how Polanski makes it familiar to us. Uh, even as he's writing a, a fantasy that maybe doesn't follow a lot of the traditional fantasy tropes. Mm. Yeah. So... Cosgrave. You want to discuss Cosgrave? Anything about him in particular? I was glad that he ended up uh, not being a total willful moron and actually listening to what Warden had to say. Oh, another offer? Okay, let's hear it. Let's 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 weigh it. You know? Yeah, I I have a feeling as we go through these, I'm gonna be constantly drawing comparisons to Gentlemen Bastards and Divine Cities, <laughs> like really? so much. Sweet, sweet. Um, but Cosgrave reminds me of a, a particular character in the Lies of Locke Lamora. Um, a, a character that you think is is going to be like spoiled and stupid, but when push comes to shove, actually has intellect and, and is able to gauge the situation and make a, an informed decision. Mm-hmm. 
good stuff. So, yeah. yeah, he didn't leave any other kind of memorable impression on me, though. I mean, not a lot of these characters had time to, so that's not really a mark against Polanski. I'm sure I'll be having a lot more to say once we get into the series proper. Well, maybe not about these particular characters in some of their cases, uh, yeah, but in some cases, yeah, in some of their cases, <laughs> won't be these particular ones. I, I thought the most colorful were the seven brothers. Yeah, the bro- yeah, well, the seven brothers or now, the the lack of not the, anymore. Five brothers now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. So uh, Windcock, me, like, what was it? Windcock, Armoud, anything about? Uh, no. Oh, the um, uh, Ar- Armadol. Oh, I thought his name was Armadol. Yeah, that's it. Armadol and uh, yeah, there it is. Armadol. So Wincock was Henri. Oh, I thought right? Win. Okay, Wincock was one. Yeah, that's one of them. I'm getting their names mixed up. Thank you. Yeah. Because it yeah, switched yeah, to yeah. it switched in the middle of a page at one point. And started calling himself Malice. I was like, what? Oh, okay. All right, that was yeah. all right. Took me too long to pick up on that one. And I felt a little, you know, sheepish about that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, Ar- Armadol, I honestly disposable. Pretty bland. Thank you. He, he yeah. Was, he was a pretty stock villain of the week antagonist. Kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, he didn't. There, there wasn't anything that really jumped out at me with with Arm at all beyond like, all right, he was an efficient tool for the story, uh, you know. Mm. Uh, there, there are m- m- more interesting antagonists in good. Straight Razor Cure or Low Town, as book mm-hmm. one is called. Cool. Yeah, all right. I hardly need to be uh, teased a little more about that to get any more excited, I mean, because I'm about as excited as I could be to read a, a, yeah, a, yeah. a completely new series. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. heck yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, miscellaneous points? I guess I could have brought up the dive bar point in miscellaneous, but I was just really excited in that moment when I found oh, out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, what do you think of Adolphus? Adolphus. I thought, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I found him to be uh, a little... Uh, brazen? No. Heavy hand, hand, no, because I don't want to accuse uh, Polanski of being heavy-handed in anything. It feels deliberate in every case. It feels deliberate, but it wasn't a subtle character. Okay. He, I will say, he is a a character in the main series. Good. And, Good. And I mean, that's what I mean. It's kind of obvious that he's going to play a huge role in something like that, right? Mm-hmm. He's the, he's he's kind of treated as a side character, but he's given too much description. Yeah, Adolphus. Knowing, obviously, I haven't even finished the first book. I'm like a quarter of the way in. Um, but just knowing what I do from that first quarter, Adolphus is the one part of this story that I'm like, I want to go back and reread this because oh. I have a feeling there are layers to him that are there to be picked up in hindsight. Uh, he's the one, the one point in the story that I. Th- that I feel could use additional context from the main trilogy. Yeah. Uh, Cause even just in the first few chapters of low town, there's more going on with him than there is in this. So good. Good. Adolphus is an enigma at the moment. That's how he's meant to be in this. I get the feeling. And so I don't yeah. know. I, I correct me if I'm wrong for some reason, my head cannon, he's got an eye patch. Did, was he described as having one eye or did I just invent mm. that detail? Do you recall mm-hmm. that? He, he has one eye. Okay. I want to make sure I didn't just invent that detail on the fly. Sweet. He's a big boy, too. Apparently six feet at the shoulder. He's like, 
He could look you in the eyes, my man. <laughs> probably, probably more than that. That's true. Unless your head is four inches tall, he would be taller than that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I mean, did did uh, did Warden just... like remind you of Kane in any way at all? Did you get any Kane yes. vibes? Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm seeing Kane when I see when I read his voice when he's speaking. I'm seeing Kane. We're gonna talk about this a lot more uh, for the low town cool. episodes. Cool, um, cool, 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 cool. All right. Yeah, uh, I, I already have a few notes <laughs> on that, that point, but uh, but yeah, I don't think I have any more uh, miscellaneous stuff here. Let me just double check my notes on my Kindle app. No, I think that's everything. So uh, we're not going to do three favorite scenes because there are like four scenes in the book, four or five scenes <laughs> total. Yeah. Um, but we'll just do like one favorite scene and then maybe if we have any other particular things of note, we can do that. But uh, uh, what do you got, Rob? I'm glad that you let me go first because I'm, I mean, I'm fairly certain this is just objectively speaking the best scene in the book, or at least it was for me. Um mm. And it's kind of a lengthy quote, I've got it here. I'd have noticed them, even if the first one, a fat but also big villain with a hatchet hanging from his belt, hadn't eyeballed me when he walked into the bar. Do you believe that? A professional. Calls himself professional, at least. And he plays himself out before he walks two steps. The islander who walked in then was carrying a small armory, a ball and chain, and a long sword strapped to his fucking back, if you can believe that. <laughs> Following immediately behind him, immediately, I am not exaggerating, came a thick-shouldered, tattooed Chiron weighed down with a cutting sword and some other iron. The foolishness! The incompetence! The sheer fucking gall of it! To walk in one after another like a troop of pikemen! Why not blow a horn? Why not carry a banner? This guy sounds like me bitching about something that gets <laughs> yeah. me really animated. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. He was just the, the way he will just critically eye a, a group of assassins in such um, a facetious way is just brilliant. I love it. That is, if, that yeah. is the definition of facetious right there. <laughs> so that that actually isn't my pick. Uh, no? That, it, was, it was a kind of a toss-up between that Sweet. and the one I went with. And mine is the funeral. Uh, for two mm, of the yeah. seven brothers, uh, but again, just the the phrasing. You know, the funeral had been private, and earlier that morning, and by mid afternoon, of the five brothers still extant, only three remained capable of speech. I'm generally not fond of backyard moonshine, in so far as <laughs> I value my eyesight, uh-huh. but it was all that was on offer, and it seemed ill-advised to do anything that might upset the equilibrium of the drunken half-giants that had just put two of their siblings into the ground. Yeah. You know, like... Yep. That that sounds like Croker, doesn't it? Does that, that also reads like Croker, yeah, the analyst, like... like yeah. Uh, Maybe more of a Mergen, I write like this, man? Like... <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. It's good it stuff. Well, good I mean, imagine stuff. it's hard for you to put yourself in a situation and be like, that line is as good, because you are always going to be too close to it. I think you've got some lines that are just as magical, my friend. I can I'm still just, remember a I'm few of a, them. I'm not funny enough. Like, I'm, I'm not a funny enough person to write this. Mm, the it's line... So, oh. I've read Drew, uh, uh, Drew's manuscript, All Flames Cast. And even as of seven years ago, there were lines that had me going, holy fuck. But you're right, those weren't the humor lines. Those were like the dramatic momentary lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got a gift for those, my friend. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I feel the, like, I, I think I have, like, pretty pretty solid dialogue. Yeah. Um, But it's definitely those more 
dramatic points that mm. I feel most comfortable Even writing. like seven years later, I can still word for word quote a particular descriptor of I'm Timon's pre- Blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. So, um, yeah, this has been a very efficient episode. I almost feel guilty. This is going to be a half-hour long episode. For, I mean, for our standard, I guess it's, uh, you know, we, we, we've been, del- like, delivering a lot lately. So yeah. This, yeah, this is honestly... Uh, this is a really nice breather for us after mm. the insanity of the last few months. Yeah. So. I mean, we've done, this is our third episode in four days of recording for us at least. So yeah. this is, we're still yeah. chugging hard, but uh, it's been a nice breather to get a nice 30 minute digestible piece out of the yeah. way. And so before we wrap up, uh, let's, let's do the final draft. Yeah. Hey, drinking Which is here. very appropriate for this book. Hell yeah, it is. Now I wasn't drinking anything of the, um, ethanol type here but i have been drinking out of my bit of friends memorabilia here or merchandise i should say here uh <laughs> the central perk mug that i have here just a bog standard coffee it was actually pretty dope i mixed in a little bit of cinnabon cream we have a creamer that's like cinnabon flavored and it oh. is divine in nature oh, that sounds good. um but yeah i'm gonna be up for a little while tonight that's good because i have a lot of homework to do unfortunately i have a final exam to study for a final test to study for i have a final project to finish all <laughs> in the period of the next 10 days as well as still working 30 hours and doing the next podcast as well and a Oof. guest appearance so i'm gonna i'm all over the place but coffee's good to keep me productive and i have been so what yeah are you drinking my friend so i have a bottle right here uh, this is an Imperial Stout from mm. New Anthem Beer Project in Wilmington, North Carolina. Uh, yeah, it's an Imperial Stout brewed with habanero, vanilla, Ooh. cinnamon, and cacao nibs. Habanero and beer. And clocks in at 11.3% ABV. Wow. And I thought this name was just perfect for the introduction to this series. Because, well, it's called Sin Highway. Oh, <laughs> lovely. It's very appropriate. Good. I, I very much feel like uh, our, our character here is on the highway to hell. <laughs> mm, yes. We'll see how many good intentions may or may not be paved along the way, or paving it oh. along the way, but we'll find out. I'm so I'm really stoked. Like, if we're going into like another Divine Cities tier trilogy, I'm just I'm so ready for something like that. Yeah, I'm psyched. Like, uh... I may have to go read the Builders again just because I've been talking about it so much. <laughs> it's got me excited for it again. I know. I know. Some like... more Cinnabar. Oh, bonsoir. Some bonsoir. Yeah. Yeah. Some bonsoir. <laughs> Good stuff, uh, the Captain. But yeah, dude, I'm. This this is like what I needed, you know. We talked about the on the Dark Lord or Dark Home episode, you know, just kind of that palate cleanser, reset your reading mindset. Yeah. And now going into a series that neither of us has read before, um, you know this this one isn't a a Patreon, you know, like bought and paid for series the way Divine Cities was. Yep. Uh, but Low Town is something that's been on my to be read list for years and uh and and just through our discord talking with a few of our listeners championing these books and i was like you know this this is perfect for us to cover right Damn. now perfect 
for us to talk about on the podcast. You know, like th- this is just well. If that isn't yeah. uh, you know two birds in a stone, then I've never killed an avian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I'm super Thank pumped. Thank uh, this has been episode 154 of the Inking Out Indeed, Loud podcast. Um, although actually, I don't. Depending on when this comes out, it might end up being like 153. Episode 150 was The Black Tongue Thief. Uh, and unfortunately, the audio for one of our guests got corrupted. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we have to re-record that episode, and I'm not sure when that one will be releasing now. Uh, if I can... In fact, no, there's no way it'll be 150, because we we already have Peace Talks out, which is supposed to be 151, but... These talks is out. Oh, because you had to bump it up. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to go listen to uh, myself bitch about something at the yeah. end there. <laughs> yeah, as of the recording of this, Peace Talks is available for our um, top two tiers on Patreon cool. early access. Uh, but yeah, so this will be oh, some episode in the one fifties. Whoever's <laughs> listening to this, you will, you know better than we do at the time yeah. of recording. Yeah. Uh, next up, we will be doing about the first half of Lowtown. We'll be going through the end of chapter twenty-one. Uh, I, I think that's about like 52% of the book. So, you know, as usual, we're trying to chop it as neatly in half as we can while, you know, doing whole chapters. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, check that out. And, you know, like I mentioned, if you're interested in early access to our episodes or tons of bonus content, like original fiction written by Rob or myself, take a look at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. And if you want to do just like a one-time donation, uh, we also have a coffee that is ko-fi.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, all of that support really keeps this podcast running. It allows us to pay our wonderful artist, Danny Felcandy. Check her out on Greatest Instagram. on the planet. Yeah, she is in on she, continually, continually leveling up and blowing our minds with, with her art. So, uh, you know, we're, we're super grateful for all of our supporters. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Hey, what's going on? Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.